Exodus 8, 1. You're going to love this. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. This is a riveting story. Hang in there. Hey, if you're talking about frogs, you don't know the puns that I was coming up with this week. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house, and into your bedroom, and on your bed, and into the houses of your servants, and on your people, and into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Well, the magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And then Moses called, or Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Now God has entered into a series of plagues with Egypt. When I was a kid and I watched the Ten Commandments on the big screen, and I read the story of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, I, I never understood the process that God was taking these people through. I thought it was random. I thought God was very creative. Who would think of frogs plaguing the people, covering the countryside? I mean, I just thought that was so cool that God would come up with something like that. But there's a reason behind it. As there is with every single plague, the blood in the first plague, all of the Nile turned to blood, and here come the frogs. But God has entered into these ten plagues not only to rescue his people as we have seen, but also to reveal to Egypt and extensively to the, the world at large who the true God is. But Pharaoh's heart remains hard. Even after the blood, you'd think that would be enough. Blood in the streamlets, blood in the ponds and the pools and even the wooden pitchers of all the homes. Blood everywhere. And you'd think that would be enough for someone to go, hmm, maybe there's a God out there who's bigger than we are but Pharaoh's heart remains hard and so here come the frogs <laughs> and they're everywhere and I just want you to stop and imagine this for a moment frogs everywhere you could not take a step without stepping on a frog which would be painful for the frogs a lot of them croaked that day <laughs> thank you they're in the streets, the marketplaces, the businesses, the temples, even in the homes of the Egyptian people. We're going to talk about frogs a bit this morning, but before we do, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll take this study and reveal something deeper to us, and something greater to us, something more profound. Because, Father, as we study through your word, we discover it is profound. It is absolutely stunning to me how powerful your word is and how true your scriptures are. And this, Lord, not from a guy who, who just takes things at face value. You know, Lord, I'm a cynic. And you know, Lord, as I study personally, that I'm always asking questions, how and why. And I'm amazed as time after time, not only do you answer the questions, but you reveal the truth. And I pray you would this morning, Father. We are a varied group of people today. We have people who have believed in you for a long, long time. And, and man, when the scriptures are open, Lord, they just know you're speaking. And we have others 
who look at the Bible and say, alright, there are some nice stories, but what does it really have to do with me? Show us this morning, Father, what this story has to do with us. And in the process, Lord, change us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to verses 1 and 2. Again, God said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Now we need to understand something about frogs in Egypt. Something about frogs in general. I did a little frog studying this last week to know what this plague was truly about. And first of all, we need to know that frogs were helpful and appreciated in Egypt. They were a good thing to the Egyptians. And there are three quick reasons I can give you. Number one, an agricultural reason. If you consider the region, they're, they're close to the Nile there, but much of the region is, region is deserty, and, and around the Nile, you can imagine the mosquitoes, the flies, the bugs, the lice that would be in that area, but the frogs kept that population down. The frogs, in eating the insects, would actually benefit the agriculture and protect the crops and the produce against infestation. Good thing to have frogs. There's also a palatable reason. They love to eat frogs. Now, I don't know how you personally feel about frogs. I was in England my freshman year of high school, went with a band trip, and we went to England, and, and it was a, I don't know, 30-hour flight. We were exhausted. We got off the plane at Heathrow Airport, got into a bus, and headed over to the first place we were staying, and we were all starving. So they brought us into a big banquet hall, and they began to bring out the food. The salad was great. The drinks were well, the Coke was kind of gross because they didn't have any ice. Was just, you know. Anyway, so we're there, and they began to serve up these little chicken legs, and they were so tasty. And we're just eating and going, they, they grow chickens small here in England. Until word began to get around that we were eating frog legs. They do not taste like chicken. Wanted to let you know. But they would eat frog legs. It was good eating. And so there's a palatable reason and an agricultural reason, but also there was a spiritual reason why frogs were good in Egypt. They were a part of the worship. I don't know if you've heard of the Egyptian god of the Nile. His name was Happy. After the plagues, he was pretty unhappy. But at this time, Happy, H-A-P-I, was the Egyptian god of the Nile, who was a god, and let me just describe how it was described to me. He was portrayed in idle form as a well-fed, large-breasted, blue or green man. A little odd. Holding out a frog. Out of which... The flowed the waters of the Nile, apparently. Or flowed the nourishment of the Nile. Happy would hold this frog, and the frog would spew out the nourishment of the Nile. And when the Nile would inundate every year and, and flood, it was because Happy was pleased and wanted to give more nourishment to the land. Happy, the, the god of the Nile, holding a frog, and with the plague of blood, understand that the Nile River is now out of Happy's control. And the Egyptian people would realize that. What about our God, Happy? Can't he stop this blood that's pouring all over the place? Happy, please, we're praying to you, we're begging you. Do something about this. And there was no response, because obviously Happy was a stone idol, holding out this frog. Well, Happy also had several toadies. (laughs) Little idols. (laughs) Little idols who helped Happy control the Nile, according to Egyptian uh, spirituality. There was Hika. Hika was a frog-headed goddess. 
Well, how many of you high school guys would like to take a girl like that to the prom? <laughs> but he got this frog-headed goddess accompanied happy to do his will every year in the nourishment and the inundation of the Nile. This is what Hika did. So you've got Hika, you've got happy, and there were several frog gods and goddesses that were worshipped by the Egyptians. And so agriculturally, palatably, and even spiritually, the frog in Egypt was a positive until they became a plague. They were a positive until they became a plague. Cheryl and I were talking about this plague this last week, and she said, you know, of all the plagues, this one seems the easiest to take. I mean, yeah, it'd be a drag, frogs everywhere, but, you know, how bad could it be? They're just little frogs. We used to have a couple of little green frogs, you may have seen them around here, that would climb up on the corner of our house over in Copper Pond in Anacortes. Little tree frogs, cute little things, bright green, and they would just kind of come out every year and reside there for a few months. They were our little pets, and then they would go away, and the next year they came back. And we loved having them around. Let me describe to you the size of the frogs in Egypt. Anywhere between 6 and 12 inches. Big mother frogs. <laughs> and these frogs were gross as well. I don't know if you realize this, but you know why frogs have such nice skin? You might not think of it as nice, but they have that nice sheen to their skin. They look clean and kind of shiny all the time as they croak around and do their thing. The reason is because every year they strip their own skin off. They start at the back of their bodies, they begin to rub until it comes loose, and then they take their legs and they push the skin off over their heads and out into the ground in front of them, and then they eat it. Frogs are gross. You think that's bad? Hold your stomach. They took a frog up, this is about six, seven years ago now, on the space shuttle. They were doing some tests with frogs. And when they got up there, one of the frogs got sick. Going up in the space shuttle. I mean, I can, yeah, I get sick, but this little frog gets sick and grows up. You know how a frog grows up? They throw up their entire stomach. It comes out, lands on the ground, and then they take their little back legs and they clean out the goo and they swallow it back in. A plague of frogs. Are you getting the picture here how nasty this was? How absolutely disgusting frogs everywhere. Dang, they were a good thing in Egypt. They were a positive. They were a pleasure until they became a plague in the beds. You know, when I get in bed at night, especially in the wintertime, I like to kind of snuggle my toes down to the end of the bed where it's kind of cold, but you get them on down there and you warm it up. Can you imagine sticking your feet down there? In the bathrooms. A little privacy, please. In the cereal bowls. That will make you look at Lucky Charms completely differently. Frogs were everywhere. By the way, this may just be when hip-hop made it into the mainstream. You know that. But as we look at the plague of frogs, <laughs> there's a reason why we're pausing on this story and not just quickly moving on. Because as I read over this story again and again and again, a picture began to emerge of something which begins as a pleasure but ends up as a plague, and that is sin. It's sin in our lives. Like the frogs, gang sin would not be a problem for us if it didn't look so good. If it wasn't, at first, if it didn't seem helpful to us. If it didn't seem a positive. If it didn't seem like something I'd like to do. The Bible even says in Hebrews 11.25 that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God for doing the right thing. He chose that instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable. It is. 
We know that. And all the preaching in the world can't change the fact that there are sins that make you feel good. I, I cannot tell you that if you smoke on a joint, you won't feel good for a season. I cannot promise you that if you get into an affair situation, that it won't be a wild, exciting adventure for a season. I cannot promise you that you can't drink and enjoy drinking over and over and over, that it doesn't help you relax for a season. But there comes a time, gang, when the pleasure becomes a plague. And we need to understand this about sin. We need to see it and know it. Moses knew something, that sin was pleasurable, but only for a season. So he chose to suffer affliction for a season, for an eternity with the Father, as opposed to sin for a season, knowing that it would become a plague. Proverbs 21, verse 17 tells us, He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. Well, Hugh Hefner doesn't really seem like a poor man in our culture. People appreciate Hef. They love to have him on their talk shows. How's it going, Hef? And he's always got the bathrobe on. Does the guy ever wear real clothes? And he has one or two girls on his arms. And we think, man, Hef's got it going on. He's got all he wants. He can be as sexist and chauvinistic as he wants. And it's cool. He's got women all over the place. He's got a mansion. He's got money. He's got riches. And I guarantee you, hell is being heated up. For Hugh Hefner, now you might say, Rick, that's really judgmental. It would be, except for this, that Hugh Hefner has done more for the business of sexual sin than anybody in our culture. Hugh Hefner has responsibility in my mind for adultery, abuse, divorce, violence, rape, incest. All of this that drives out of a central, seemingly innocuous, pleasurable magazine. They're just pictures. I'm just appreciating the female form. Not a big deal. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And Romans 6-23 tells us, and we better know this, the wages of sin is death. You can choose the pleasure for a season, but the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death gain, spiritual death, which is eternal. Sin may begin positively, even pleasurably, but it always, always ends up a plague. No alcoholic starts out by saying, I want to be a fall-down drunk. That's what I'm aiming for in my life. No gossip begins by thinking, I'd like to be known as an untrusted big mouth who destroys other people's lives. That's, that's what I'm shooting for. No one intends for sexual sin to ravage their marriage and family. Ted Bundy... Ted Bundy never thought he'd become an infamous mass rapist murderer when he picked up his first Playboy magazine at age 13. And he drew, executed for this ultimately, but he drew his entire problem back to that first Playboy. And he, he could draw the process through, how it wasn't enough, and he needed more, and then he got into more, and a little more. And you may say, well, I've looked at Playboy all my life. Hopefully you haven't. <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> but you may say, I've looked at it, doesn't, it hasn't affected me like that. Well, great. Something else will. That can. It devastates. The problem is, gang, most of us think we can manage our sins. All of us. To a degree, whatever our different sins are, and there's a multiplicity of them represented in, in here this morning. If we were going to be really honest and throw them out all, all out on the table, we would see a number of different things that we all struggle with. But we think we can manage them. We think we can handle them 
a glance of pornography, a white lie, a negative word, a puff on a joint, or that one drink too many, I can handle it. They're just little frogs after all. And how big a deal is little frogs? I can keep it in the pond. I've got the riverbanks, the church attendance, and basic Bible knowledge to keep my sin in the Nile. It doesn't dominate my landscape until we wake up one day and there are frogs everywhere. And this is how sin works. David, you know, King David, man after God's own heart, David woke up one morning with frogs all over the place in his palace. Really, I kind of read about that. I'm not talking in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense. He woke up to a sin he thought he could handle. He saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing, and he went, wow, she's really nice to look at. And all I'm doing is looking. Until that picture got in his mind and began to work its way in his head, and he began to think, I really want to have more than just a look. And he took more than just a look. And you know the story that it progresses from there, not just to a look at Bathsheba, not just to an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, but the murder of her husband so that he could be with Bathsheba and hide everything that had gone on. Murder, lying, adultery, all from one little look. One little frog. And it blew David away. Bible students, by the way, you can track David's inward thoughts and feelings about that particular sin. If you look at Psalm 6, in this process, it's Psalm 6 followed by Psalm 38, then followed by Psalm 51, and then go back to Psalm 32, you will note the progress of David working out this sin before the Lord. It's impressive. It's it's amazing. I want to read real quickly this morning Psalm 38 to you. If you'd like to flip in your Bibles over there and follow along, you can do so. The Psalms are easy to find. They're right in the middle of your Bible. And a lot of times if you just kind of let the Bible fall open in the middle, you will uh, be either in or close to the Psalms. Psalm 38, beginning in verse 3. David is is suffering. He's penitent. He's confessed, but he's suffering over the sin. Listen to what he says. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed and I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me and the light of my eyes, even that, has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my kinsmen stand far off. David realized something about sin. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Listen to this. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. God is not this cosmic killjoy, this party pooper who stands up there and goes, I've I've created pleasure in the world, but I don't want you to have it. Oh, I forbid you to enjoy yourselves. That's not the deal. It's just that the Lord knows that there's a direction that sin takes that hurts us, that damages us, that destroys us, that leads us to say things like, David, there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm numb. I'm badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Who wants that? 
Does anybody here really want that? Is there any sin in our lives that is worth that kind of pain that comes out of it? The kind of pain that we not only cause ourselves but other people? Deuteronomy 10.13 God says the following and you might want to keep a finger in Psalm 38 we'll come back to it in a second Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all His ways and love Him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul now listen to this to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes which I am commanding you today for your good And only God can truly say that. We've all heard it from our parents. Or said it to our kids. Hey, I'm doing this for your own good. And sometimes we are. And sometimes our parents were doing it for our own good. And there were many times they were just tired and didn't want to deal with us. So they threw out the for your own good phrase. When God says, man, I'm telling you this for your own good. He means it. And He can say it truly. Well, let me tell you some things. Back to Exodus and keep a finger in Psalm 38. Some things about sin that are interesting that that actually draw out in this story if we compare sin to these little frogs that just plague the land. The first thing you might want to jot down is that sin robs me of rest. Sin robs me of rest. In verse 3 of Exodus 8, the Nile will swarm with frogs which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed. How much sleep did the people of Egypt get while the frogs were plaguing the land? Now I might be able to go out, go without one night of sleep because the frog thing was just so impressive. Wow, they're just everywhere. This is amazing. Get the camera, Apple. Let's check this out. You know, and, and one night maybe. Second night you're going, oh, man, I'm so sick of the riveting. Will you shut up already? Just be quiet. The third night you're beginning to just you know get really angry, not just at the frogs but other people. The fourth night I don't even know how long this was going on. But gang, it was robbing them of sleep, and sin does that. Anybody relate? Okay, don't raise your hand again. Oh, go ahead, raise your hand if you want to. <laughs> Have you ever had a sleepless night because of something you did wrong? Have you ever laid awake going, why did I do that? Why am I so stupid? Why do I keep sinning? Sin robs me of rest. We have a menagerie at our house. Lovely little menagerie of animals. We've got Gimli the gerbil, Charlotte the teddy bear hamster, and Honey the dwarf hamster. We also have a turtle, but he's quiet. I like him. (laughs) The three rodents run on their wheels all night long. And they were in the garage for a while, which made it really nice. Just take them out when you want to pet them and put them away when they're obnoxious. But now it's cold. They have to be inside the house. And all night long I hear... And then one stops and the other one starts up. And it's just back and forth. It's just, ah! Shut up already! How do you sleep with a frog on your pillow? How do you sleep with one and just, oh, he threw up on the covers again? Sin robs me of my rest. We are being funny here, but Psalm 38, verse 3. David said, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. The word health is literally translated rest. I had no rest because of my sin. I have no rest. I'm awake all night. There's no rest in my bones. It steals my rest emotionally, physically, spiritually. And even Pharaoh was not immune. Psalm 105 verse 30 tells us the land swarmed with frogs even in the chambers of the king. So Pharaoh all night long is just clear them out, clear them out, guys. As soon as they would clear some out, here they came in through the window and onto the bed. Everywhere. 
sin robs me of my rest. And I want you to notice some contrast here. Because though sin robs me of rest, what is it that Jesus says? Come to me and I will give you rest. Oh, I can choose sin. I can go after the pleasure for a season and that's great. But it's going to wipe me out. And Jesus says, Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anyone tired of sin in the world? Tired of the pain? One of the number one questions people ask, Christian or not, is why is there so much pain in the world? It exhausts us just to think about it. And it's because of sin. But the beauty of God's gracious forgiveness is that it provides sweet rest even for the person who is in the midst of their sin. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Sin robbed me of rest, but Christ brings me rest. Hebrews 4 verse 9 tells us there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Sin robbed me of my rest, but number two, sin ruins my appetite. It ruins my appetite. Again, in verse 3, it says that the uh, frogs came into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. Mom, what's for dinner tonight? How about frogs in a blanket? (laughs) No, we had that last night. Toad tenderloins, that'll be good. No, 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 no. Frog au jus. (laughs) Just think about that one. It's really nasty. Listen, there's a litmus test in our lives to see if sin is creeping out of the riverbank and into your life. You want to know what it is? It's the way you respond to the Word of God. It's the way you respond to the Word. Do you find yourself hungry for the Word? Do you find yourself looking at a plate of spiritual food and just saying, ah, it's just not appetizing for me? I see my Bible over there, but I, ah, I just don't really feel like it. Oh, I know we've got opportunity to be involved with Bible study, but you know what? I just, I just don't, don't want to do that. Gang, sin ruins my appetite. But the Lord increases my appetite. God said in Amos 8.11, He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Why is that, Lord? Because you don't want it. God says to Israel in the book of Amos, You don't want my word. You don't want to hear my word. So you're going to start to starve. And sin ruins my appetite. Our kids come home from school and they always want the after school snack. And there's always kind of that battle, you know, where you have a little bit and they come back out and they want more because they're hungry. We're going to have dinner at five. And if you load up on the snacks, on the junk food, you're not going to be hungry for the food that you need to have. And it's the exact same way spiritually. As we load up on the junk food, we're not hungry for the true spiritual meat that the Father offers us like frogs in the kitchen. Sin ruins my appetite, but God will increase your appetite. If you happen to be one who's sitting there going, man, that's me. I'm not into the Word. People say Bible study, and I go, boring. If that's you, listen to this, Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. We'll do dinner. 
Jesus says, we'll get together and we'll have a meal. Psalm 107 verse 9 tells us He has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul, He has filled with what is good. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I had an interesting conversation with my mother-in-law. And I, gotta, I mentioned her probably just about once every couple of weeks because she's so full of illustration. I'm, just, I'm telling you. And we were just talking about it. She said, you know, the first time that we moved here, and this was five, six months ago, the first Wednesday night Bible study I came to, she said, I was overwhelmed. She said, I sat there, the verses came up, and I just went, <laughs> and, and she said, it was all I could do to try and keep up and follow along. She said, I enjoyed it, but it was hard work. And she said, now... <laughs> well, it's like eating, drinking those grande vanilla breves, isn't it? That's right. It's like having a nice latte. I mean, she, she comes in now and then just, oh, this is great. And that's what happens. I'll tell you, if you're not into or involved with a Bible study right now, when you first start, it may be hard to eat. It may be a little difficult to take in. You may need to go two, three, four times, but I promise you, I guarantee you, this is a money-back guarantee that if you get involved in Bible teaching, you will get to where you cannot do without it. It fills and satisfies in a way that nothing, nothing else does. Well, sin ruins my appetite. The Lord says I'll increase my appetite. And sin, it robs me of my rest. But listen to this. Number three, sin ravages my relationships. Verse four tells us the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Pharaoh, though it was his hard heart that caused this, was not the only one who had to deal with the frogs. Everyone else did as well. And when I sin... I'm not the only one it affects. It hammers my family. It estranges my friends. In the hardness of his heart, Pharaoh sins against the Lord and he impacted a nation. By the way, not just his nation, Israel as well. For it won't be until a couple of plagues down the line when God says, okay, from here on out, the plagues will not affect Israel. The frogs affected Israel. The blood affected Israel. And it won't be until later that God stops that and says, let me show you a contrast. Here's my people, and here you are in the plagues. But right now, everybody is impacted by Pharaoh's hard heart. Even the good guys and gang, my sin cannot help but to affect those around me. Jesus connects the dots, by the way, between our sin and our capacity to love. He says, because lawlessness is increased, the love of most people will grow cold. The more I sin, the less I am able to love. Which is why a lot of times in a marital situation, you will see it begin to go south, especially if there's an affair that happens. The sin happens, and the love from the one spouse who has the affair to the other one decreases. The spouse begins to look at the person they had the affair with, yeah, and look at the wife and go, as the lawlessness or the sin increases, the love decreases. Sin ravages my relationships. It douses the warmth of love. And listen to what David said, verse 11 of Psalm 38. He said, and this blew me away, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. This is where sin will take you. Away from those people close to you. Away from those people who love you and care about you to the point that an alcoholic would, would cast out his whole entire family. I have a friend, not here in Washington, a person I know very well in California who is an alcoholic. And he has estranged his entire family. And all they want to do is save him. All they want to do is love him. All they want to do is bring him out. And he says, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't have a problem. 
Well, sin does that. It causes our kinsmen to stand afar off. Or maybe for you, the sin is in the relationship itself. You've got bitterness or unforgiveness toward a person. Or anger. Or maybe you're holding judgment. Let me give you a spiritual truth. Les and I were talking Friday morning and he shared this. i got to share this with you. He said, when we enter into judgment of another person, we tend to end up following the same path that we judge them for. That is powerful and it is true. Oh, we never do what he does until we find ourselves doing the exact same thing. I think it's a spiritual reality. The more we tend to judge someone, the more likely it is that the very sin we're judging will pop up in our lives. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You want to go out and tell someone else what a sinner they are? Be careful. Because the sin in your own life may begin to raise as a result of it. Like frogs among the people, sin ravages my relationships. But the Lord says, I want to restore your relationships. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, talking about Jesus, to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And what causes broken hearts more than torn relationships? Jesus would look in your life and in mine and I want you for a moment to think about a relationship you have that is torn, that's bruised, that's broken and understand this it is the Father's heart that that relationship be restored some of you are saying okay, the only relationship I can think of is my divorced spouse and I do not want to see them ever you know what? The Father wants to see that relationship restored. And I'm not talking about you going back and trying to get married again. It may be too far down that road, but God wants restoration. That's what His heartbeat is about. He hates seeing us fight and angry with each other. I'll tell you what, and I know, know, as as a... I can tell you now, as someone who voted for President Bush, and if you'd like to leave, there's the door, you can go ahead and do that. As someone who voted for our president, I am still just amazed that after the fact, I made a decision based on values, based on my own sense of what I thought needed to happen. And you can disagree with me, and that's fine. But what bothers me right now more than anything else is the vitriol and the hatred continues. That there is a divide there, and when God looks at America, He's got to be saying, this is not what I am about. It's unity. It's love for each other. And whether the president was Bush or Kerry, and if Kerry had been elected, I, I would have a responsibility to stand up here before you and also in my personal life and respect that office. Restoration of relationships, frogs, ravaging the people, sin ravages my relationships. But Jesus, the Lord says, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light... As he himself is in the light. What do we have? Anybody know what we have when we walk in the light? Fellowship. We walk in the light. We love the Lord. We live for him. We give him our lives. Guess what the the outcome is? It's fellowship with one another. And John says, And the blood of Jesus himself cleanses us from all sin. And so I have a recommendation for you this morning. If you have a relationship that is ravaged by sin, bring it to the Father. Invite Jesus into the situation. Even if the other person does not respond to your acts of love and your attempt to restore, you keep praying about it. 
You keep bringing it to the Lord. It's hard to be bitter towards someone you're praying for. Well, the last one, and we'll finish. Number four, sin reinforces a hard heart against the Lord. Sin reinforces a hard heart. And to me, this is the most unbelievable part of the story. We haven't even read it yet. Look at verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So he's breaking down here. And so Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me. When? When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? And then he said, Tomorrow. What? What are you, are you an idiot? Now! Right now! Get the frogs out! I don't want the frogs here anymore! I'm sick of the frogs! Take them away now! But Pharaoh says, Tomorrow. Pharaoh wants one more night with the frogs. One more night. I've grown accustomed to their face. We can't exactly know what was going on inside the heart of Pharaoh, but what what was it? Defiance? Was it indifference? What is the deal here? He chooses the frogs for one more night. And his decision, by the way, to wait one more night and allow that many more frogs to plague Egypt yielded a, a gross response. Look at verse 14. They piled them in heaps and the land became foul. And Pharaoh added a whole extra day onto those heaps. And there's an amazing parallel here, gang. Because we come to this place in our lives where we begin to recognize that we are in sin. That sin is ravaging a relationship. It's ruining, it's robbing me of rest. It's ruining my appetite. It's having all these effects on me. And I finally say, man, Lord, I really want you to take this away. And God goes, great, when shall we do it? And we say... Tomorrow's good. Actually, I'm free sometime next Thursday. Would be alright, you know. I want one more night. Just give me one more night with my sin, and then I'm going to give it up. When I get to this point in my life, then I'm really going to follow the Lord. Oh, when, when this is taken care of in my family, well, then I'll be able to really get involved. But when work lets up, then I can settle in and really be loved by the Lord and have my sin taken by the Lord. And I guess maybe for some people it's what it takes. Our sin has to pile up in heaps and stink so bad that we can't stand it anymore. That we just get so tired of it. We say, all right, just take it, Lord. I know I said one more week, I'm done. And that's the process in our world of sin in our lives. We just keep going on thinking, oh, okay, I, need, I know I need to stop, but this is the last time. Tomorrow, I'll start. Listen to this, gang. That is not the timing of the Lord when it comes to sin in our lives. God's timing is immediate. The Lord would say to you and to me today, and if there's a particular thing you're struggling with personally, what He would say to you today is let today be the day. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't put it off. Don't take away from the opportunity to be free now. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. And he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Pharaoh, when do you want the frogs taken away? Tomorrow. 
Gang, when do you want the sin removed from your life? How about today? Hebrews 4, 7. He again fixes a certain day. Today! Saying through David after so long a time, just as been said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There's an immediacy to the healing of God. I mean an instantaneous act, a work, the restoration, the restful work of God. You can be free of sin today and not have it hanging on. But too often we want one more night with the frogs. One more night with my sin. One more chance to do my thing before finally I will give up to the Lord. And do you see the contrast here? Between the choice of sin and the choice for Jesus. Listen again closely. Sin robs me of rest. But Jesus says, come rest. Sin ruins my appetite for the Word, but the Savior says, let's eat. Sin ravages my relationships from the Lord, but the Savior says, I want to restore broken hearts. And sin just reinforces a hard heart against the Lord. But the Savior says, today, 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 if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. If you have awakened to a life filled with frogs, if they're piled up in heaps, if they're stinking in your life, or if there's just one cute little frog up in the corner of your house, listen. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so today, if you have heard His voice, don't harden your heart.